Well, it's great to be with you today. Uh, months ago, when Matt asked me if I would come and share on this Sunday, uh, we thought it would be in person. We had no idea of how our world was going to change just several months after I made this agreement to come and be with you. But I'm delighted to be with you, even if it is by video. Now, this morning we're going to continue the series through the book of Malachi, asking the question, how to? And this morning the question is how to give. And actually I'm going to talk about how much should I give. Now, some of you are wondering, really, Butch, you're going to talk to us about giving in the midst of this pandemic? You're going to talk to us about how we should be giving to God? Yes, see, the principles of the Word of God, they do not change. Whether we're abounding and have much, or whether we have little, the principles of God's Word remain the same. And God, in His plan, has set it up so that those who are blessed are to give so that they can meet the needs of those in want. So that later on, when we are in need, those who are then blessed will be able to meet our needs. So we're going to talk today about what should I give? How much should I give? So follow me, if you will, in Malachi chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading with verse 6. So follow along with me. Malachi 3, beginning with verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say... How shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. There are times in which I dream and I wonder, what if? What if every member of Mission View put God first? What if every single member and regular attendee of Mission View had no idols in their life and God was first and foremost in every decision they made? What if everyone was generous? That we all viewed that which God put into our hands to manage for Him. We actually realized it was all 
his. And we had an attitude that he could take it and use it, and we would just be a conduit of his blessings to others. What would that look like for the church? What if every member of Mission View was out of debt? Now, let me say the Word of God does not say it's a sin to have debt. But the Word of God warns us that the person who borrows money becomes a slave to the lender. So it's not wrong to borrow, you're just putting yourself into bondage. And what would it look like if all the members of our church were to be totally out of debt? Because often it's our debt that keeps us from doing what God would want us to do, and even what we would desire to do, to please Him. And debt is a major problem in this nation. Do you realize the average American household carries $137,000 worth of debt? Americans owe $1.5 trillion in student loan debt. The average family has a credit card debt of $8,300. 61% of Americans do not have enough money saved to cover a $1,000 emergency. And some of you have found out whether you have that $1,000 saved or not. Because of the pandemic, you have been challenged if you were laid off or you had to go without having pay or delayed unemployment benefits coming to you. It should emphasize to us our need to have a plan in using our money. And then the fourth thing that I dream What if every single member of our church and every single attendee gave 10% to the church? What if everyone gave that 10% to the church? 10% is a tithe. And that's what I want us to understand as we look at this passage where God says He has been robbed of the nation of Israel giving to him his tithe, the tithe that belongs to him. Now, whenever you hear the word tithe, it simply means 10%. So you may be giving to the church regularly without giving a tithe. Tithe equals 10%. This is a principle that we find all through the Bible. If we go clear back into the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, we find that Abraham, after he has won a military battle, rescuing his nephew Lot, that he comes across Melchizedek, this mysterious priest that we really know very little about. But Abraham gives to him a tithe of all the spoil that he had taken as an offering to God. In Genesis chapter 28, Jacob, as he is on his journey, heading away to go be with his uncle Laban, he sleeps one night and he has this dream that we call, you know, Jacob's ladder, the dream that he has, where he sees angels ascending and descending from heaven. And at the end of that dream, Jacob promises to God God, if you will provide for me, 
If you will meet my needs, I will give you 10% of everything that I acquire. You say, well, Butch, that's the Old Testament. Well, let's move into the New Testament for just a moment. Jesus addressing the Pharisees in Luke chapter 11, verse 42. And if you know much about Jesus and his interchanges with the Pharisees, he didn't have much good to say to the Pharisees. But in Luke eleven forty-two, he says to this, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Uh, this may be the only place where Jesus praises the Pharisees. Though he condemns them for their lack of having justice, though he condemns them of the show that they put on, he does commend them for their tithing and says, you should have done this. And notice these Pharisees, how diligent they were in keeping their tithe. They tithe of their herbs. Now, those of you who cook, primarily women, can you imagine going home today and going through your spices and taking out one-tenth of each of your spices and setting them aside to bring them to the church so that they can be used by missionaries or by others? This is what the Pharisees were doing. Down to their very herbs were they giving to God. And Jesus said, this is what you ought to have done. Now, what's the state of tithing here in America today? Once again, remind you, the tithe means what? 10%. Only 5% of Americans in the church tithe. 80% of Americans give 2% or less of their income. Uh, to put that into perspective, during the Great Depression, Christians gave 3.3% of their income. Now, the bad news is we often think that if we make more money, we would be able to give more. For families making $75,000 or more, only 1% of them give 10%. And that's not just to the church. That's any charitable giving whatsoever. And this is another shocking statistic. This always shocks me when I read it. 37% of regular church attendees don't give anything to the church at all. Let that sink in for a moment. 37% give nothing. Oh, they may throw a dollar in the offering plate when it's passed or just grab something and put it in, but as far as there being any recorded giving from them, 37% give nothing. Now, some good news. Of those who give a tithe, of those who give at least 10% to the church, 77% of them give more than a tithe. They give generally between 11 and 20%. 
So I don't give you those stats, and uh, during this message, I'm not going to just bombard you with stats. I just share those for information purposes, so that we can see that this is a needed message for us as Christians to know what we should give and how we should give. So we're going to start, as we look at the book of Malachi in chapter 3, we're going to start with the Old Testament principle and requirement. And as we look, of, look at that, the first thing that the prophet establishes is the fact that God does not change. Look at it in verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. God is the same. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, in verse 29, there we read, he who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Over in James chapter 1 in verse 17, James writes, every gift, every good gift, and every perfect gift is from above. So anything good that you have, everything perfect or complete that you have is a gift from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God does not change. And he actually says to the nation of Israel, the reason you have not been consumed is the fact that I do not change. Well, what do we know about God? We know that God is loving. We know that he is a caring God. We know that he is a merciful God. We know that he is a graceful God. We know that he has met all the needs of Israel. And our God does not change. Now, we establish that base for us to give to God because we know that God is faithful, loving, caring, and graceful to each and every one of us. But now Malachi, as he has throughout this book, is going to charge the nation of Israel for how they have failed in their relationship with God. When you think of a prophet in the Old Testament, what you need to think about is their role is that of being a covenant prosecutor. This has helped me a lot in understanding all the minor prophets and the different prophets mentioned throughout the Word of God. Their primary role is to represent God to the people and to charge them for how they have failed in their agreement with Him. See, God has an agreement with the nation of Israel. God has promised to bless them. There are responsibilities on the part of Israel that God has given to them, things that they are to do. The role of the prophets is to come along and to say, this is how you're not keeping your end of the bargain with God. Now, we've seen throughout the book of Malachi different charges being made to the nation of Israel. Back in chapter 1, in verse 2, we find that they question God's love for them. Verse 2 says, chapter 1, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? So as an overall nation, they're looking at their circumstances, they're looking at their situation, and they're saying, God, you say that you love us, but 
How do you love us? They question whether God is truly a God of love who is loving. In chapter 1, over in verse 6, the prophet charges them that they have offered polluted food, blind, lame, and sick animals as sacrifices to God. Look at it in chapter 1, beginning with verse 6, at the end of verse 6. How have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those who are lame or sick, is that not evil? So they were taking their sick animals. They were taking the worst of their fruits and vegetables and bringing them as offerings to God. And Malachi says to them, try offering those to the governor. Try taking that to the ruler, the political ruler, and see if he will accept that from you. And the answer, of course, is he would not. So why should we bring less than our best to God? See, in the Old Testament, there was this principle that we were to bring our first fruits to him. We are to bring the best, the first of the vegetables, the first of the fruits that were born. You were supposed to bring those to God because it's an act of faith, trusting in God. You bring your best to God. In chapter 2, he charges them because they have not kept their wedding vows. Look in verse 13 of chapter 2. And this second thing you do You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. God is saying, You haven't kept the agreement, the vows that you made to your wife. And because of this now, I am not blessing you. And you're going around moaning and crying and complaining. Why isn't God blessing me? Why isn't God blessing me? Because you have violated the clear-cut commands of God. The next thing that we see in chapter 3 in verse 7 that we've looked at this morning is they have not kept God's commands. Look at verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statues and have not kept them. I've given you clear-cut commands. I've given you clear-cut things that you were supposed to do, but you've turned aside from them. You're not obeying me at all. And then we see in verse 8 that they have robbed God. Look at it. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. They've not been bringing to God what he has required. And God says that when you do that, you are robbing him. Uh, You know, I don't know about you, but if there is one person I would not want to steal from, 
that would be God. You know, think of that. You know, I sometimes in this day where we have preachers who are corrupt and they take the giving that God's people have given and they run off with it. And you know, periodically you see those stories, you know, in the news. I can't understand that at all. If I was going to steal from someone, there's lots of other people I would choose to steal from. I wouldn't be stealing God's money. And yet that is what God says they are doing. They are robbing him. Now, there's different ways we can rob God. We can rob him, of course, of our giving. We can rob him of giving him proper devotion or service. We can rob him of not giving him the time that he deserves. We can rob him of our money. So are we robbing God? The nation of Israel was robbing God. But notice next the invitation that God gives to them. In verse 7, in verse 7, he says to them, return to me and I will return to you. Our God is a loving, gracious God who always has his arms open for his children to turn back to him. Someone has said in the past, if you feel further away from God, than you did in the past, guess who moved? It wasn't God who moved. It was you who moved. And yet, regardless of when we veer off the path away from God, regardless of that, God waits there with open, open loving, gracious arms to welcome his children back into fellowship with him. Think of the story in the New Testament of the prodigal son. Remember how the father was waiting for his son to return, and when he sees him afar off coming, the father runs out to meet him. The father is a picture of God. And God says to this nation, return to me, and I will return to you. He tells them in verses 9 and 10 that they are to bring to him what is his. Bring to me what is mine, God says. Verse 9, you are cursed with a curse. Why do they think that God doesn't love them? It's because things have not been going real well for them. But the reason things are not going well is because of their disobedience to God. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Bring to God, give to God that which is God's. The next thing that God says, and this is very interesting, it's in verse 10. God says, put me to the test. Right there in the middle of verse 10, God challenges the people, put me to the test. You know, as far as I know, this is the only place in the Scriptures where God says to people, test me in this. Try me in this. Try being faithful to me. Put me to the test and see if I will not bless you. 
you know, periodically I'll talk with people who are having trouble giving uh, to God. And they'll say, Butch, it's just a struggle for me to give anything. And I asked them, I said, what if for the next 60 days I promise to pay all of your bills? That if you are faithful and you give to God and you obey him, I promise you that I will pay all your bills. Do you think you could give to God then? And sometimes they'll say, yeah, I, I could probably do it if you promise to do that. Well, there's one greater than Butch who's making this promise that says, test me. The one who owns everything in the world. He is saying, put me to the test. And so we see the invitation from God. Return to me, I will return to you. Bring to me what is mine. Test me. And then the promise of the blessing that will follow. Look at it in verse 10. It says, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, and if I will not open the windows of heaven. And he goes on and he says, until there is no more need. The windows of heaven will be open to you. Your needs will be met. That's the promise of God. And then he says in verse 11, he says, I will rebuke the devourer. Now, the nation of Israel was an agricultural culture. So therefore, they made their living through farming, raising of animals. And so when it talks of the devourer, it's talking about disease, it's talking about pestilence, it's talking about insects that would come and destroy their crops. And God says that he will rebuke the devourer. Isn't that encouraging to know that God, the sovereign God, has control even over the insects? that they must obey him. And so this challenge to the nation is made by the prophet Malachi as he charges them for how they've disobeyed God and challenges them as to how they are to be obedient and how they are to give to God that which is his. Now someone's going to say to me at this point, Okay, Butch, that's all good, that's all fine, but that's Old Testament. That's the requirement for the nation of Israel. We are not the nation of Israel. This message, the way that it's, it's worded here in Malachi, is specifically for the nation of Israel. And I answer that to say, you're absolutely correct. Israel was a theocracy. The money that they gave, which was really beyond 10%, was not only for the support of the temple and the priests, but was also for the government. So we have 10% the tithe that they were required to give. If you add up everything that the Israelites were required to give, it was actually somewhere between 20 and 30%. But let's talk about the standard of the New Testament. Because the standard of the New Testament is grace giving. Grace giving. Now, we're not going to turn to these passages, but I want to just lay down the principles and then make some practical applications for all of us. First of all, New Testament giving. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, we are to give as God has prospered 
us. To give as God has prospered. See, in this is the recognition that everything is God's. The psalmist said in Psalm 24:1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Everything belongs to God. You know, I heard people preach in the past, you know, you're supposed to give 10% to God, and then the other 90% is yours to use however you please. That's wrong. 100% belongs to God, and we are responsible for how we use it all, because it all belongs to Him. How much of this did you bring with you when you came into the world? Zero. How much of it are you going to take with you when you leave this world? Zero. So everything that you have has just been put on loan to you by God. And God has entrusted you, whatever your income is, God has entrusted you with that to use that for Him and for His glory. So we give as God has prospered. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in verse 3, we are to give cheerfully. Actually, the word there for cheerfully means hilarious. That means it would be very appropriate that when you give your gift to God, it's okay to break out in laughing. Now, you shouldn't be laughing at how small your gift is, but you should be laughing because you have the privilege of giving to God. And listen, if you can't give with joy, if you can't give cheerfully, keep your gift. Now, I hope I didn't give the elders of Mission View a heart attack when I said that. But the reality is, God will meet the needs of His people and of His church through the giving of His people. And God wants us, when we give to Him, to do so with hearts that are filled with gratitude, so much so that we're laughing and we're filled with joy and saying, I get to give to God and to God's work so that it can go forward. And friends, I want you to know, as you give to this local church, and as they disperse these funds, both here locally and around the world, all the blessings that come from that, all the rewards that will come from that in eternity, you will share in because of your faithful giving to God. So give cheerfully. According to 2 Corinthians 8.3, we are also to give sacrificially. In other words, it should cost us something to give to God. If you happen to be that part of the population that normally gives nothing, God wants you to make a sacrifice to give. Uh, that may mean less trips to Starbucks. Uh, it may mean less trips to sporting events. None of them are going on right now. What are you doing with the money that you spent to do those things in the past? How are you managing your funds? But it should be a sacrifice for us to give to God. It should hurt a little bit for us 
to give. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, we are to give thoughtfully. In other words, we should have a plan for our giving. It's not something that we, we show up at, at church and you'll be able to do that soon, and I don't know whether you'll be passing any offering plates then or whether they'll be in the back where you can drop your offerings in, but there should be some thought given. It's just not, what do I have extra? What do I happen to have in my wallet? Today, you give to God with a plan. We talked about the nation of Israel. They gave their first fruits to God. You should give to God first. For those of you who struggle with, can I give to God? Try honoring Him by giving to Him first. God wants us to give thoughtfully. Now, let's take this and let's make some application for us today. Regardless of where we are in giving, I want to talk to you about some practical steps you can take. Let me first of all address those who are not giving regularly. Start with some percentage. Uh, I have been shocked recently in talking with some individuals and as our staff have talked to other individuals where there is this perception out there that if I cannot give 10% right now, I just give nothing. It has never occurred to them that you can start with some percentage that's less than 10% and make that a regular gift. So if your finances are all screwed up, if they're a total mess, and I know that there are some that would say to you, well, you give a tithe to, to God and you don't pay your other bills. I don't think that's what God wants us to do. If we have debts that we've incurred, God expects us to pay those debts. But we can all start with something. So determine a percentage and start giving that regularly to God. If it's less than 10% as a starting point, that is fine. Give that to God, but become regular in your giving to Him. Now, let me talk to those of you who are giving less than a tithe. You're giving, you're giving regularly, but you are not giving 10% to God. Trust God to increase your percentage. You say, Butch, the tithe is not binding on us today. And I agree with you. I don't believe it is binding upon us. But that should not be an excuse to give less than 10%. If the tithe is not binding on you, why don't you give 20%? We say, well, well, Butch, no, no. We, do we have more blessings than the nation of Israel had? Certainly, we do. Uh, have we been prospered by God? My friends, as I travel around the world, one of the things that I clearly recognize is most of the people living even at a poverty level in the United States would be regarded as rich in many third world countries. God has blessed this nation. He has blessed us within this nation financially, and we have a responsibility 
to him to use those funds. Remember, they're his funds. So if you're giving less than a tithe, start upping that percentage as God directs you. Now let me talk to those of you who are giving a tithe, or more than a tithe. Ask God if you are giving what he desires you to give. See, the question is not, what must I give? The question is, what does God want me to give? What percentage of that which he's entrusted to me does he want me to use on myself? And what percentage does he want me to use on others? So ask God, what does he want you to give? I was challenged several years ago by two things. One, I heard a message by a friend of mine, and he asked the question, when's the last time you upped your percentage of giving to God? And I thought, that's a good question. I am thankful that I was taught to tithe as a child. And parents, let me encourage you, the time to begin is when your children are young. When I was young, and I got a 50-cent allowance. Now, I know for some of you kids hearing this, 50-cent allowance, that doesn't pay for anything. But 50 cents went a lot further back when I was a kid. I know I'm dating myself, and I'm old here. But my dad taught me that 5% or 5 cents, 10% of that belonged to God. And he got me offering envelopes from our church and every week, I put at least five cents, 10% of my allowance there. As I have gone through my life, giving for me has never been a challenge because I learned it at an early age. So start teaching your kids about giving to God and being responsible to Him. So I heard this message, when's the last time you increased your percentage? And I thought, you know what? I was in my 40s at that time. And I said, well, I've always given 10%, and then I would give other offerings beyond the 10%. But I never thought of increasing the percentage and saying I can go higher. So I began praying. How can I do that? How can I increase more? And then I heard a testimony from a man in our church. And in that testimony, he shared this. He says, you know, as a Christian, and he was saved a little bit later in life, I realized that once I was saved, I needed to give 10% to God. But I also came to the point to where I said, you know what? I'm living pretty good. I have a good standard of living. And most people, what they do when they get a raise is they just up their standard of living. He said, so I prayed about it. And I felt God laying on my heart to take half of any pay increases or raises that I got and to increase my giving by that amount. And that was like a light bulb that went off for me. And since that day, whenever I get a raise, 50% of whatever I take home, I increase my giving to the church by that amount. That's a way you can increase the percentage that you're giving to God. So how to give? How do we wrap this up this morning? God wants all of us 
to honor him. The tithe may not be binding upon us today, and it is not. But that is not an excuse to give less than 10% to God. Wherever you are, if you're not giving at all, God says, test me, try me. See if I do not open the windows of heaven. See if I do not meet all of your needs. God can be trusted. If you're giving, but you're not giving 10%, begin to up that percentage so that you can give more to God. And each of us, regardless of the percentage that we're giving, we should pray to God and say, Lord, what do you want me to give? Because you've prospered me. You've blessed me. You are meeting my needs. So, Lord, I want to honor you with my money. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word and how relevant it is for us. I pray, Father, that in this area of finances, that we would each recognize that you need to be Lord over our finances, and that we need to put you first, and that you can be trusted. And so, Father, I would pray that you will just speak to each of our hearts and let us know what you would have us to do. And then help us to be grateful and obedient to you. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.